You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. This is Sarah Box, your host, and I'm happy to welcome you to another episode of the podcast, which is all about shedding limiting labels and beliefs so we can all shine our light in the world and live the way we're meant to. Um, And you know, I say it each week that I believe without a doubt we are each capable of more than we imagine, Mm -hmm. and that when we clarify, align, and declare our intentions for good, we can create a positive ripple effect in the world. And our guest today actually is kind of an expert in the world in that way. So we'll, we'll get some more information um, after we you meet her. Um, but I do want to say if you are someone who is feeling like you want to stay more connected with other people who are out pursuing big dreams and goals, be sure and hop on over to our website at sarahbox.com and join in. We'll make sure that you keep up to date with all the news. So let's start. Um, our guest today is Esra Ogu. Did I pronounce that right, Esra? You pronounced it wonderfully. I would love to be really great in all languages, but I, <laughs> I attempt. So, so Esra is a transformational coach and yoga teacher, and she's helped people all over the world discover their power to live the life they choose. You can already see how it aligns with no labels, no limits. Today, she's helping people transform their lives to experience their own spiritual and fin- financial abundance through one-on-one coaching and workshops. Um, you know, she has worked all the way from individuals um, at the individual level with big name celebrities and corporations, and most have sought out her services and mentorship because they know what she delivers. So along with her husband and business partner, author and transformational coach, Ike Ogut, Esra pioneered transformational coaching in Turkey and co-created a sought after coaching certification program. That's a lot to have accomplished already. She holds a bachelor's degree in English literature from Turkey's Bosphorus University and a film and television certification from UCLA and is a certified instructor of Kundalini Yoga. Um, And most recently, Esra um, has just moved to LA. I just found that out. She'd been living in Kauai. Um, where she works online to train coaches around the world while continuing to write. And she's just published her first English book, Money Does Grow on Trees. My husband would like to talk to you about that because we often, <laughs> he often says, where is this money tree? <laughs> just say it's the big one in the backyard. You haven't noticed. <laughs> so anyway, welcome, Esther. I'm really happy to have you on the show. Sarah, thank you so much for such a wonderful um introduction and yes money does grow on trees <laughs> tell your husband i will t- well i keep telling him that but he thinks i'm making it up so now i'm going to have him listen to this episode 
<laughs> and you can tell him. Um, but I do like to ask all of our guests a start off question, and that is whether there's something that you do every day, Esra, that keeps you focused on your goals. Yes, actually, um, this exercise is in the book as well. I have uh, what I call my gratefulness exercises. And I kind of have my own version of it where I will for about 15 minutes minimum, I will just kind of, you know, sit with my, you know, coffee or tea and start being grateful for whatever is in existence in my life, like whatever happened. I mean, and it's not like these general things like, oh, I'm so grateful. I'm healthy. Oh, I'm just so grateful. I'm happy. No, like um, <clears throat> I'm so grateful today. I got to interact with a raccoon really in our backyard. And it was a very close encounter and it wasn't afraid. So I'm really grateful for that, you know, like very kind of specific things. And then after the 15 minutes, and sometimes I'll go less, sometimes I'll go more. Once I feel there's a change in my state of being, then for the next 15 minutes, I'll go into things that I would like to experience as if it has already happened. And I find that extremely, extremely magical. Actually, it's, you know, once you really get the hang of it, playing with vibration and your state of being like that through the power of your word, because the words are, of course, also getting our focus into alignment. It is absolutely insanely magical how you get to begin to experience whatever you've spoken exactly manifest out in the real world, sometimes in the exact, you know, detail. And then that's wonderful because it's not just about, you know, the manifestation. It's a wonderful reminder, therefore, of how powerful we all are and the power of the word. So when did you first learn that? Um, you know, I, of course, I think I was influenced very much by Abraham Hicks, like, you know, aligning your energy, the importance of focus, this and that. But in 2007, we had just moved to Turkey for a couple of years uh, with my husband because things in LA weren't working out. You know, we were having a hard time paying rent. Um, he was waiting on tables. I was selling shoes and, you know, working in stores. And we had just kind of, you know, started this whole uh, journey of transformational coaching with our mentor, Daryl Rutherford. So when we moved back to Turkey for a bit, we didn't know how long it was gonna be for, we made a pact with him to do these exercises every day for a year. And in it, I just came up with my you know, own version of it. That's how it felt good to me to do. So I'm like, okay, let's go for it. And we actually experienced an insane amount of financial uh, expansion in that one year. I actually don't even forget the numbers. Uh, I was making about $800, $900 in Turkey at the time, you know, teaching yoga. The coaching had just began or maybe it hadn't began yet. I don't remember, but not maybe at the beginning of the year. And so for finan finances too, I, I would just be like, oh, I'm so grateful. Now, you know, 1,500 is flowing. Oh, I'm so grateful. $3,000 is flowing. And, you know, I would just even speak out the numbers. And by the end of the year, both of us had increased our income by 20, 20 times. So now let me ask you, you um, talked about your, your daily practice and you were doing that at the time as well, mm -hmm. doing the gratitude and then actually living as if or visualizing as if and living into that. Is that when you started doing this work as well? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's when I started. I mean, I had already uh, been training with my teacher, my mentor, Daryl Rutherford, for three years at that point on a weekly basis. So in, in like 2007 was, I think, the moment where all these different pieces I had been learning or discovering, because we would always like crazy work on each other with my husband. We were like each other's coaches every single day, you know? And I think 2007 was when all the kind of pieces fell into place. So this one exercise I'm talking about is the vibrational piece, the importance of being aware of our vibration, cleaning up our vibration. You know, we, we clean our teeth, we clean our houses, we clean our cars, and then we forget to clean up the most important thing, which is our vibration when it gets all, you know, frazzled with whatever's going on. So this is a great exercise to, to utilize. It's very powerful. Let's come back to that in a little bit. I want people to know you've had an interesting journey getting to where you are now. You said, you know, like in 2007, you moved back to Turkey. So let's go back, back, back. Um, so when you were a child, what was it like? You grew up as the child of a, the Turkish ambassador, correct? Yes. So how did that lifestyle, what was that like? And then how did that serve you or has that served you as you've gone on your path these the subsequent years? You know, I have come to understand in life that everything we experience is never experienced by chance. And even the most like, un, you know, related, you know, remote looking things that we experience always end up becoming hugely for important for who we become later on. All the pieces kind of work and it just all of a sudden makes sense. And you're like, oh my God, you know, I went through that horrible experience, but thank God, because now I'm experiencing, you know, the gift of it. So when I was a child, my father wasn't an ambassador yet in Turkey, you kind of have to like move, you know, up the ladder and it takes, I don't know, I guess 20 years or something. But we definitely, because he was a diplomat, uh, I was living in a different country, different culture every four years. And I must say it wasn't very easy <laughs> because, you know, you're all the time the outsider, you're all the time changing schools. Uh, also, there's a big kind of a rift between, you know, Turkey coming from a Muslim country and then you're like in all these, you know, European countries. When I was eight, I didn't even, you know, yet speak English. So I'm going to school, having no idea what anybody's like talking about. And then there was the sensation of each time finally fitting in, finally finding friends, you know, and having, beginning to have a great time would always be my last, you know, two years or a year. And then bam, all that goes out the window and you have to start over. But one um, understanding that I was very early on trained to was understanding how all these things that people just accept as a reality isn't really real at all. It's really based on what that society or that religion or that culture or that system expects everybody to believe. And what is considered wow and great in one culture, well, when you go to a totally different culture, the wrong becomes the right, the right becomes the wrong. So I got to see this reality people take so seriously is basically no, nothing more than just perspective and perception and how much can shift when you change the perspective and the perception. So I think that was a very good kind of training, hardcore training for what I would end up doing later. 
Well, it certainly sounds like it relates to exactly what you said about your regular practice, how both you and your husband really changed your lives when you moved back to Turkey. So how did you decide to come to the States? Well, you know, that's really kind of interesting because I had never even been to the States, even as a tourist, like I hadn't stepped foot onto this continent. And, um, but because I guess I went to American schools in Europe, sometimes it would be British schools, sometimes American schools, it depends. I really loved the system of education that they had in Europe though. It was just so much more innovative than the Turkish schools, so much more caring than what I experienced in, in the Turkish schools. So very early on, I kind of had this obsession about America that I honestly don't know where it comes from. So since I was 16 or 15 or maybe even earlier, I just wanted to be in the United States. So yeah, it was like this kind of a weird obsession. And what's really strange is I'll never forget. So finally, when I did arrive against all odds, because my parents didn't want me to go, I didn't have the money to come. You know, they were so not interested in their, you know, young 23 year old daughter, like trotting off to the other side of the world. Like, you know, they're like, no. And I'm like, yes, I will go. <laughs> you know? So again, with these manifestation principles, without like kind of knowing what I'm doing, I just manifested a scholarship out of thin air. I had $2,000. I declared I'm leaving. <laughs> they're like, what? And um, but what's really interesting, and I was very surprised by this. I'll never forget the night, it was like dusk time as I landed in LA. There was this beautiful like light all around. And I just landed, you know, in the airport and I'm all happy and feeling victorious, like, oh, what a dream. And as soon as I stepped into the airport and I saw the American flag, I just started bawling. Like you wouldn't believe, you know, and I'm at the passport control and I'm like totally bawling. The guy's like, are you okay, you know? And then, you know, many, many years, you know, I think two years later, some, you know, psychic that was working with a friend of mine, you know, just said, oh, you know, I just want to quickly look at, you know, what you're up to. And I'm like, no, no, no. And she's like, yes, yes, yes. And, you know, she's like, you know what? And I was in Turkey at that point um, for a trip. She goes, you know what? Your real home isn't Turkey. Your real home is America. You've definitely been there many, many times in your past lives. So I think it was a past life connection. Oh, yeah, you were having a homecoming. Yeah, definitely uh, felt like it. Yeah, that's always emotional. Yeah. You know, come home to yourself, come home to your country. Exactly. That's pretty amazing. So I want to ask you, when you were young, you know, you talk about like the moving and then there's this time of discovery and you sound like a very um, purpose-driven person, right? Yeah. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going. Hear me? I'm going. Um, but who were your sources of inspiration, either as a child or a young adult? Where did you turn for inspiration? You know what, Sarah, really, I don't think I had any inspirations as a youngster. I didn't. I remember feeling kind of very lost and oftentimes very disconnected to, to the earth. You know, I'm, I, I remember being as young as five, you know, kind of looking around and thinking like, what am I doing here? Did I get here by mistake? What is this place? Why are people so, you know, strange? And by strange, I, as a very young girl, I was very blown away about how unloving people were towards each other is what, what, is what my perception was. So to me, all the people that I, I admired and who became inspirations kind of came later on in my life 
with the spiritual books that I began to read um, because everything I began to read started making sense and I could connect it to a near-death experience I had had as a 16-year-old, which I think opened the door of spirituality for me, like realizing, oh, we are spirit first and most of all, and then our humanity is secondary. It's our secondary role. It's our costume. Boy, when you say that, I, can, I just feel it in my heart, Esra as you're mm. saying that. Are you comfortable sharing a little bit of your near-death experience? And then we of can course. talk more about what is a being choice. Of course, of course. Well, um, uh, it was in the southern, south of France. I was interrailing with some friends. I was either 16 or 17, something around there. And I went into the water when there was the red flags and you know we were told not to go into the water. My smart friends stayed behind and didn't go into the water, I did thinking, ah, oh, these, I'm Turkish, you know, these waves, pah, you know, and uh, sure enough, uh, before I knew it, I was like in this experience of drowning and just like a washing machine and very, very afraid, of course, like trying to hold my breath under the water enough, knowing that if I just open my mouth a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm gonna die. <laughs> and um, as I was going through that struggle, I heard a voice in my right ear that said, and I'll never forget, it was like as if someone's right here speaking to me, it must have been a guide or something. And I hear the sentence, this is the dream, you're about to wake up. And the minute I heard that, I'm like, oh yeah, this is the dream. The real thing is when we're out, out of the body. I remember like it just clicked. And when it clicked, I relaxed and I'm like, ah, I'm excited about going back home. So I was like kind of excited about, you know, dying pretty much because I knew it wasn't an end. It was a new beginning and it was the real thing, like waking up from a dream pretty much. And then as soon as I relaxed, like the time and dimensions started just like opening up. And I remember just very fast seeing all the moments of my life where I either gave love or received love and being like, aha, I remember this love thing is so important. And um, then I saw other, other me's in other realities. I couldn't see what they were doing. And then it was just this incredible sense of oneness, incredible vibrations of peace and love, which really that level doesn't exist on an earthly experience. It's like, it's, you know, they should have other names <laughs> as to what they are. And um, there was this kind of a knowing that I am a part of the creator and we're all a part of the creator, like the creator and I are, you know, not separate. It's, it's one and the same, kind of like water, you know, it's at the same time steam, it's at the same time water, it's at the same time ice, it's just different forms of the same thing. And that's what I understood creation to be. So when I got all this exciting information, and it was really not even information, it was a remembrance. And I remember thinking, oh my God, how did I forget all this? How did I forget? It was just unbelievable to me that I forgot all this. <clears throat> then I was like, man, it'd be so cool to go back now, <laughs> now that I remembered. And before the thought even started, like before the thought was even actualized, bam, I was back in the body. I just got out of the water, another big wave came, but this time I wasn't afraid. Like I knew the, the wave was there to kind of like bring me back in. And sure enough, that's what happened. And it was this incredible 
blissful state that I was in for three days after, you know, I felt like enlightened for three days. <laughs> you and everybody thought I was insane. Did they really? They yeah, they did all out. my friends. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, you know, there was just such an acceleration. I saw the earth from another totally other perspective. Like everything I was seeing was like a miracle. It was probably like being reborn again or something as a baby. It's like, oh my God, look at the sand. Oh my God, look at like everything was so beautiful. And because I was just about to lose it, you know, there was such a appreciation. It was, I was in just another vibration. So I was telling my friends, you know, who are all like 16, 17, my age, like five, six of them. And they're like, you know, what did you smoke? You know, did you have something to drink for breakfast without telling us? Oh, you probably hit your head on the rocks and, you know, something happened, you know? And I felt like a little bit, you know, embarrassed sharing. And then, you know, I began retreating from that. And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe that was the dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. I wonder how, uh, how easy it is for us to be convinced that um, what we're experiencing when we're in those moments is the other and not real versus the real and we are the dream. Exactly. Exactly. So, I was convinced very easily. <laughs> that was probably something, you know, it wasn't all, you know, that must, but, you know, deep in your heart, you know. You do know. And like, you've never forgotten. I haven't forgotten, but for sure, for a very long time, I did put it like, okay, this is not to be talked about. This is not to really be shared because, you know, like when, when someone hasn't gone through that experience and you're sharing it because they don't have that, the dimensional experience, they're like, eyes just go like, it doesn't register. And they're just looking at you weird. So, you know, I, I hit it. I hit it even from myself, but I think underneath it led my path. For sure. So that's it does sound like a pivotal moment, though, in your own development, whether you were vocal about it or not, yeah. you know, that it, it shifted things for you. So, you know, you talk about your the people you followed and you talked about Abraham Hicks and others. So when you talk about um, the being choice, what is that? Because you've come, you've come a long way from being nearly drowned. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the being choice is is a concept um, that my mentor Daryl Rutherford woke me up to, and you know you can maybe give it many different names. We can call it being choice. We can call it the being power. But really, what it what it is is like a very very deep choice we make, not just with our heads or just with our personality it's not like oh let me have coffee instead of tea it's something bigger than that it's a deep deep choice we make on a cellular level about what we're going to belong to next so for me before i even met my mentor i was having so much of a hardship in the financial department like always having a hard time every month paying rent, always in a panic about it, always like doing all these other menial jobs or this or that, whatever I could. And it was just such a, such a struggle that I, at one point I said, you know what, this is no longer me. I am no longer saying yes to financial struggle. And I am saying an absolute yes to abundance. I just decided to be an abundant woman. And I even remember that moment it was only after that point that my teacher showed up two weeks later to train me and to reset my mind so I could let all that abundance in. 
So a being choice is that decision that is pivotal in your life where it changes the whole trajectory of your journey. And he describes it as a being choices like the seeds you plant. Once you plant the seeds, like even without you having to do anything, it's, it's the law that it just, you know, grows from the sun and from the rain, the universe kind of takes care of it. So when he taught me the being choice, I remembered then that's how I had manifested coming to America as well. From the age of 16 to 22, it was more like a wish. It was a hope. It was begging, you know, sometimes my parents like, please, please let me go to, you know, America, I want to study there. So you're a part. You, you, you cannot be something that you're wishing. You cannot be something that you're wanting. When you make a being choice, it's like you jump in your consciousness to that new state that then has to be reflected and carried through and supported by the universe. So that's even how my prosperity journey started. I made a being choice to become prosperous. So now, you know, you've heard the terminology to act as if. Mm -hmm. Is the being choice similar or distinct from acting as if? It is distinct because there's no push to as if. You begin to all of a sudden act differently. Okay. So maybe the as if is the bridge there is one other way to like bridge from the non-state to the state. But when you make a being choice, it's like you immediately distinctively feel different about the subject. What was a, what was an impossibility before all of a sudden seems possible. What felt like hard before all of a sudden is easy. Because it is. Because it is. For example, with the America thing, you know, it just wasn't happening, wasn't happening. And I had already gone into a job, a TV show in Turkey um, that I was working in. And at one point, I, I, don't, I don't even forget the moment, I was getting some coffee from the machine. And I said, oh my God, if I stay here, my life is going down a trajectory that I don't want. And I remember lifting my head with my coffee and just saying, I am going to America. And then after that, all these ideas started coming to me that I hadn't thought about before, such as asking for a scholarship from the company that I'm working at. And in Turkey, they don't do that kind of stuff. Like, you know, companies don't pay you to go and like study, you know, that's an American thing. But I'm like, you know what, maybe I can go to the top of the, you know, the head of the TV company and convince them, you know, with good arguments that, you know, I deserve to get a scholarship to study TV and film in the U.S., so that idea came. Of course, you know, UCLA was so expensive. How am I going to afford without, you know, I mean, impossible. For the first time, I saw that there's a certification program that only costs $7,000 instead of like $150,000. So that information came. I couldn't find that information before. It's all, all the elements that helped me get there against all odds started to show up because I made that being choice. What's interesting, um, as you're describing that, it seems to me like it, at similar points, and I won't say that I was as crystal clear as you, there've been a couple of moments where um, I knew, like someone wanted me to apply for a job, they, and they said, you know, you're up again. I'm thinking, if I apply for that job, they're gonna give it to me. I mean, that I knew that. Mm -hmm. and, it, and I thought, I had to really decide, do I wanna be that person? 
Yes, there you go. But that way I'm thinking, yeah, I know they're going to want me to jump through the hoops with an interview. They've already decided I'm I'm the person. And it felt so weird to say that. So I didn't repeat it to anybody. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, my work is <laughs> my work is deciding do I want to do that or not? You know, um, it's but, very, very true. Exactly what you're saying. It's just when you're in that knowingness, when you've made that choice, you're in that knowingness. It's, it's a, just a totally different state. But so it doesn't feel like right. a push. No, it feels like you have to show up. Yeah. And that's why when I was thinking about it, like you may not have seen all of that stuff about UCLA before because you weren't the person who it would appeal to at that point. Yeah. Right. So what do you think we need to experience or learn or unlearn to get to the point where we can live in that being choice? Because I hear there could be a lot of inherent doubt in that. Of course, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's the hardest, it's, it's such a simple principle. Yet to teach and to learn is, is the hardest thing because it is so simple. I mean, when my mentor first started telling me, he'd be like, well, Estra, you know, if you don't have any money yet, that's because you haven't made a being choice to be prosperous. And I'm like, what? what are you talking about? And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Daryl, like, how do you make a being choice? And he would go, there's no how about a being choice. You either do or you don't. But yeah, but Daryl, but how? And he's like, well, how do you jump in a pool? You either choose to get, you know, wet or you choose to stay dry. That's, there is no how about it. And I would just like, it would drive me crazy. So I think the first step is kind of remembering that we have this being power. So me and my husband, we created a wonderful exercise again, very simple, but please do it because it works. Um, you write down on the left side of a, of a paper, uh, maybe one or two or three problems, like may, maybe major problems you've experienced in life before. Then on the column next to it, you write what happened when it was resolved. And then on the third column, and this uh, exercise is in the book, you try to remember that moment you made that decision. And when you can remember how major changes in your life have happened because you've decided to be a different person than who you were being before. And once you made that decision, how things just began showing up, that's a very good exercise in terms of remembering. The second exercise I would give is what my you know, teacher would say, as to who would you be being if you were already prosperous? That immediately, like even just asking that question, if you do sincerely, there'll be different answers for different people, but immediately there's a change in the energetics. I can feel it when I, when I ask. So one example of healing that my teacher has in his book that just came to my mind is, um, I don't know if it's even in his book or he told us in his sessions, but the assistant of the dentist he used to go to that he liked very much, one day he comes to the dentist, she's not there or what happened, you know, oh, she has, you know, cancer, like in the worst degree possible. So he's like, oh, you know, that's so, because she was also very young. So anyway, a couple of months go by, maybe, you know, six or seven or eight, the assistant shows up again and she's totally fine. 
and he's like oh my god you know what happened to you you know we heard it was cancer we heard it was deadly like she was paralyzed or something like that not being able even being able to move and she's like yeah the doctors thought I was dying my husband thought I was dying I thought I was dying and then there came a point where I decided you know what I'm not gonna die and then from there on, it started going into reminiscence. You know, she found certain techniques, visualizations that she practiced in her body. I mean, of course, the visualization is very important. The gratefulness exercise I was teaching at the beginning is very important. But the most important one, are you choosing to be the one who's going to live or are you going to die? Are you going to choose to be prosperous or not? Basically, Shakespeare said it all really well. To be or not to be, that's the only question. Well, and right after him, I'd go with Yoda, right? There is no try, just do, yes. right? Yes, yes, right there, there is no try. You either are or you're not, which is interesting. Once that kind of that message clicked into me, it's almost like an instantaneous red flag when someone says, I'll try to get back to you. I'm thinking, oh, okay, then I'm not gonna worry about it because it's likely you will not exactly right and, and how often does that happen you know oh well, I, you know I, I don't know i don't count anymore i just figure if you get back <laughs> to me great i'm but you know but i used to go okay that person i'm waiting on that person it's like okay you know you don't need to try you either will or you won't you it's won't. it's okay either way yeah so so um you know we talked a little bit about ike briefly in the intro and you've referenced him so the two of you got together while you were on this journey or you met him on the journey. I'm interested always in how and where couples come together as they proceed on a journey like this, which is very spiritual and supportive. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you for that question because you know, the way we met is is my one of my favorite stories to tell it. That one's not in the book. <laughs> well, then tell think. it. <laughs> Well, um, again, being choice, I'm going to tie it to being choice. Sure. Uh, 48 hours before I met him, I just sat down and um, I had at the time a boyfriend um, in Turkey who's British, who was British, but I'm in America, you know, so British boyfriend in Turkey, but I am in America. And, um, you know, because of the distance, we weren't like, you know, connecting uh, as much as, you know, I would have liked to. So I'm like, mm, you know, is this relationship for me? And I'm like, mm, no. So I decided that that one was over. And I just said to myself, you know, Esther, what do you want in a relationship? And I realized that I had never had a point of clarity about what I wanted in a relationship before. I hadn't even asked that question to myself. So I said, you know, if everything was possible, who would you want to be and who would you want to be with? And I literally sat down and did this two hour ritual where again, like the gratefulness, I spoke the kind of relationship I wanted. And I said a whole bunch of things. I remember amongst them was like, oh, I'm so grateful. You know, we meet. And even when we we're 40 back then, I'm like, you know, much younger, of course. But, you know, even when we're 40 or 50, we're, we're like children playing. Even at that age, we'll play hide and seek. And I remember one important point was someone that we're so supportive with. There's no power struggles between us. So I just like counted and counted and counted. Imagine for two hours, like all the 
stuff and the energy that came through. But my very last sentence was someone where we help to carry one another to each other's highest destiny. I remember that came through and I remember I got chills. And sure enough, 48 hours later, I met him. So it was this like ritual of calling him. But what's really important is A, I decided to belong such, to such a relationship. And of course, I asked the question before he showed up. Well, I'm like, you know, asking for so much. What if such a thing doesn't even exist, you know, to that level? And I was very fine with not having a relationship. Like there was no compromise. It was either like, this is what I'm choosing to belong to. And if it's not happening, that's fine. It's as much fun not to have a relationship long-term where you get married and all that kind of stuff. And bam, I let it go. Well, 48 hours later, he showed up. I wasn't sure it was, you know, I mean, I knew, but I didn't, you know, that kind of stuff. But what was interesting is, you know, we met uh, at a party. The next day we called each other, went for breakfast, then it was lunch, then it was dinner, and then that's it. And then we've been together ever since. So the whole thing, you know, from meeting to getting together was like less than 24 hours. And two weeks later, we, I'll never forget, we're walking in Santa Monica. He's like, you know, I want to tell you something, but I hope you don't think I'm weird. And I'm like, okay, what is it? You know, really interested. He's like, you know, on so-and-so day, I did a ritual. And it's like either the same day or the day after my ritual. And I'm like, completely, because I didn't tell him I did that 48 hours ago. I did the, you know, I didn't say that to him. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, I had all these weird lists of, you know, what I wanted in a woman and I was getting very, very funny results with it, you know, kind of like a comedy show of extreme characters. And finally he goes, you know, I took all those lists I had, I burnt it in a fire in a coffee bean in Santa Monica. And I said, you know, I just want to be with a woman that inspires me to become more and to become like her. A woman just that inspires me and I think you're that person. So it was this very magical, you know, we pretty much energetically sat there and consciously called each other. And Isn't that amazing? I wonder how long you'd been calling and didn't know. Well, there was another uh, mutual friend that was trying to get us to meet one another for a year prior to that time. And we were both like absolutely refusing. <laughs> so. so, you know, you as we're kind of winding this up, I want to ask a couple more questions. And that is the book we're referring to is the Money Tree book, correct? Because as we're doing these, as I'm doing these exercises and I'm going out and looking in my backyard, I want to make sure I'm in the right book. Okay. So, and for folks listening, we're going to have all the links in the show notes for you. So you don't have to take copious notes or anything. It'll be there for you. But, you know, as you work with people, Esra, as a coach or in the different ways, how do you feel the way you work or interact with people is different from what other people might expect? Well, I mean, I really don't know what other people do or don't do because we, we've just been doing our thing for so long. So I don't really know how to compare that. But um, I think one big thing that I can I have is we teach everything that we've walked the path of. You know, we've done it first, we've first seen as possible, and then we go ahead and teach. 
Second of all, our coaching isn't about giving answers to other people, but we're very, very careful about setting them on a journey of self-discovery so that they are coming up with their own answers. Because unless the aha happens within the person, again, that being choice isn't possible. So I think that's a very, very important thing. I, I think there's a lot of teachers where they'll like advise or show you the way or give you the way. We believe it's about the person finding their own way because when it is done that way, that empowerment within the person is just like the magic. They open that box, that magical box inside. As we're sitting here right now and you're describing that, is someone coming to mind for you? Like, do you have a picture of someone you've worked with that's kind of popping in the back of your head? Oh my God, uh, because we have a lot of people in the certification, you know, uh, like around 200 each year we work. I mean, there's just so many beautiful stories. But um, I'll give you one example because we started the whole thing with tree. By the way, the, it's money does grow on trees and not it doesn't grow on trees. So since you were sharing your husband at the very beginning, this uh, example yeah. came to my mind. So we were teaching the importance of gratefulness, how this is a vibrational thing and basically how a being choice of prosperity means this where do or die doesn't matter how much money there is in your bank or not you begin to activate that sense of already having already being prosperous already swimming in abundance inside of you first and how if if and when you make a being choice that's how you feel that's how you know you've made a being choice so we're explaining all these principles and the gratefulness, you know, and there's this guy in the certification where he's like, what do you mean now? I mean, I'm just going to be like grateful to the coffee, you know, mug that I'm drinking coffee from and then money's going to come like how, how, how? You know? And uh, somewhere in the course, I remember he just wrote something so beautiful. He goes, you know what, I finally, and, and these gratefulness exercise in the certification is kind of forced. Like if you want to be a part of it, you have to do it every day. There's no not doing it. So anyway, he had been doing it for a while and I guess it got into momentum with him. So he wrote this beautiful thing where he's like, you know, I am so grateful for even this cherry tree that I have in my backyard. I've had it in my backyard all these years and I never even thought of looking up at it in appreciation. That's the level of my appreciation that I've arrived at now. And shortly after, like he was just, we just knew he had finally managed to get into that state. And shortly after his prosperity went up like three or four or five times over. So we, you know, there is really, it's, it's if, if I could get one message across Sarah, uh, I wish somebody had told me this. I wouldn't have believed it though when I was struggling with money. Manifesting prosperity in abundance is the easiest of all manifestations. You just need to feel rich already. And then the mirror of life will reflect that to you. It's the law. So you said you need to feel it. You've also spoken it because you, you specifically said you speak out loud. So is that connected to the, to the, being and the speaking of it of course because when we're being grateful all the time for whatever already is in our life that sense of richness is activated from within okay 
And, and one, one last thing, and also to realize because we're such powerful beings in the here and now, basically the entire force of the universe, the force individualized in the here and now, whatever we speak, whatever we think has to be reflected back. So if we're having problems with prosperity, rather than asking, but how can I be prosperous? Ask the question, why am I choosing to hold myself separate from prosperity? Oh, good question. You see? Oh, it's absolutely. not a can't. How am I and why am I holding myself separate from prosperity? What's my gain benefit in making sure abundance doesn't belong to me? There's a benefit there. Otherwise, it wouldn't manifest. That's so, one of my favorite, not around abundance, but that's often one of my favorite questions. Like, what's the payoff here for doing X? Because there is one or you, you wouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. And same with manifestations. What's the payoff of the problem? What's the payoff of, you know, you want a relationship and a man is not arriving in your life or a woman? There's a payoff in terms of not getting into that relationship. And that's why the separation is there. So yeah, that's a very big one. Like we didn't get into that too much, but yeah, just realize that if you don't have a, the abundance you, you are desiring or dreaming of, it's because you're holding yourself back, nobody else. What is that belief that separates you? Once you find it, and it's usually like a decision we've made as a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old from whatever was going on around us, you know, you, you wake up to this, it's like, oh my God, the seven-year-old girl, I'm like, what, 35 or 50, and the seven-year-old person and her perspective or his perspective is running my financial life. And that is so ridiculous that when you just wake up to that alone, you can just have a huge shift happening. Ezra, thank you so much. I I actually do think we could have one or two more podcasts just on different aspects of things that you've I would shared. I'd love to. Great. Okay. Thank you. Done deal. I will follow up with you separately. But before I let you go from this one, tell folks where you are best reachable. How's the best way for people to find you and what you're up to? Uh, our website is www.ikeandesranow.com. That's I K E. A-N-D-E-S-R-A now.com and money does grow on trees the myths we create and live by just got released on Amazon this Monday September 6th so you can reach the book from there perfect hey everybody let's go buy the book and help drive sales up <laughs> yay is it did you read it? is it available on audio yet uh, no, we haven't done the audio yet, but I would, it will be. I would make a request. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm just a big, I love audiobooks, and it, I don't know, now that we've had you on the podcast, I can actually, if you were the, to be the narrator or whatever, it would be fun, but I do read as well, so thank you for our time together today, and I've learned a lot, and I hope that you as our guests have also taken away a lot, um, but do check out the show notes, reach out, see what Esra is doing. And um, money does grow on trees. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. 
You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.